Mysteries can be found wherever you look, especially when you're not sure what it is you're even looking for. My brush with the occult began on a quiet Sunday morning in the late 1980s in the living room of 207 Alaska Avenue in Whitesburg, Kentucky, where I grew up. Three-bedroom apartment in the Whitesburg Housing Projects, a neighborhood with cracked sidewalks that straddle that invisible boundary between the furthest reaches of Central Appalachia and Kentucky 15, the road out. As a restless five-year-old, I fidgeted at a table as Flipper played on the television. Next door, my mother was helping our neighbor Gail move out of her apartment. Gail had been a victim of domestic abuse, and my mom was helping her get out before her abusive husband Jimmy had made it back in town. I heard a loud commotion next door like someone screaming after a bookshelf had broke. I walked over to see what the matter was, and I saw Gail picking up books that had fallen out of her closet. She looked up from the wreckage, and her face was swollen almost unrecognizably on the left side, and the bridge of her nose, I'll never forget this as long as I live, was being held together with scotch tape. She was afraid to go to the hospital. I walked over to help her with the books and scan the titles, and so much that my reading comprehension at the time would allow, but of Stephen King's The Stand and countless books about a variety of topics relating to arcane spirituality. Tarot, fortune-telling, tea-leaf reading, whatever it was, you name it, she had something on it. And one book etched into my memory, the title of which I swear to God escapes me now, but it had a skeleton on it in a hood holding a scythe, kind of like the Hypnotized Minds logo. It had an hourglass in the other hand, and it was telling you how you could predict the hour of your own death. And I bent over to help Gail pick up the books, and my mom, who was very much not into the same literature that Gail was, forbid me to even touch those spooky books. You never know what's on them, she said. Garnet, Gail said. It's just good fun. Still, my mom summoned me to go get some more boxes from our apartment. When I opened the door of the closet, a big jar of half-open Red Devil brand varnish with the devil holding a pitchfork right on the can greeted me. And for a kid steeped in Christian baggage, there were no two spookier closets in America. When I brought the box back, Gail gave me a hug and explained that her and Nikki, her daughter I would play with sometimes, were going away for a little bit. And we wouldn't hear anything from Gail for a while. Truth is, we didn't hear anything from Gail again until the weeks after 9-11 when she sent my mom a landscape painting she'd done. With the cryptic note attached, your house on the other side. I saw it in a dream. Hope you're well. G. Little modest for heaven, don't you think? I said to my mother. It was a little fishing cottage tucked into some mountains, a far cry from the gaudy streets of gold and walls of jasper mentioned in the scriptures. I like it, my mom said. I won't need much. You ever talk to Gail, I asked. My mom, staring introspectively at the card attached, looked up. I bet I haven't seen her in 13 years. She called me once and left a message. I always worried about her and Nikki, but I think they found some peace. That's what I choose to believe, anyway. Good evening, ladies and ghouls, and welcome to the maiden voyage of Faces in the Corner. 
I'm one of several of those faces you'll meet along the way, Tom Sexton. My friends and I will be bringing you a veritable cornucopic buffet of body tales and spooky interviews with special guests that are going to attempt to ask and hopefully answer one central question. What scares you? Tonight's guest is a stand-up comedian and some would argue a stand-up guy. An actor and writer who's performed in 43 states, four countries, and even Texas, if you can believe it. He's appeared on shows such as Conan, Last Comic Standing, What the Fuck with Mark Maron, and voices of characters on Squidbillies, and even once hosted a Morgan Spurlock documentary. So without further ado, let's welcome Mr. Billy Wayne Davis. I lived in this fraternity. It was old as hell. Like, literally our pledge semester, it was condemned, I think, at the beginning of Rush. And somehow, you know, however that stuff works, it was uncondemned when Rush started, you know, some money, alumni, whatever. I realized real quick that it was cheaper to live in the fraternity house than it was in a dorm. So I moved in there as quick as I could, second semester. I lived there, it was a nightmare, just the grossest place. And I lived in, (laughs) I lived with athletes and stuff like that before, and they're disgusting, but it's, there's like a decorum and stuff there that I don't know that didn't exist in just party world and, and with rich kids. So it was disgusting, but in the summer, everyone would leave. And I was not a rich kid, so I would stick around and I had a job and I would, take a couple of classes but it was like fun and i and there's like three or four of us that lived in this giant house and we we had bowling green kentucky to ourselves so it was like really fun and where my room was was on the middle level there was like four there was a basement it's an old house rumor was like civil war hospital was its first real use you know but i'd heard that in like a bunch of different houses across the south i've lived in so it was just like sure probably probably some civil war dudes died in there for sure. Was it a hospital? Who knows? I was on the third, I guess it would be the third where all the rooms were. And then we had what we called the penthouse room, which was the room everybody wanted. But there was like a a way out. There was like this, these steep stairs and a little balcony all the way down that you could get out. People who lived up there and would party up there would go up those steep stairs because if you wanted to party by yourself or if you were with a girl or something, as soon as you got to that, the living hall somebody was tagging along it was just cock block central is what it was and so i was just sitting in that room playing i think super nintendo because of my thing that summer was i worked at outback steakhouse i'd make my money and i put it in the bank but i would take five to ten dollars and stop and put gas in my ford ranger get a 12 pack of keystone light and you could do that that's like a pretty good way to live and then you could drink 12 keystones and perfect drunk and then fall asleep you weren't hung over it was just walk uh it was awesome and then i would just play super i would just do that and smoke cigarettes because no we weren't supposed to but no other brothers were there i would just smoke cigarettes and drink and see how fast i could beat super mario brothers that's what i did that summer it was a pretty fun summer that's what i really liked to do it was like 10 o'clock one night and i thought i was like the only person in the house but i was doing that and I was playing, and then I hear what sounds like a ton of footsteps and everything upstairs. So I was like, oh, shit, party, or whatever. Because I was just at that right, like, probably five or six beers in where you're just, like, adrenaline up. 
doctor and i was like yeah part of us talk to girls try to do stuff and i ran out there and like nobody was up there like no one and i was like oh that's so weird so then like poked my head i was like maybe they went back down the stairs or something but i was like it sounded like so many people where it just showed up anyway maybe i missed them i don't know i was still kind of drunk or whatever so i went back downstairs I started a new round. I was about halfway through. And I hadn't drank at all at that point because I was like, I'm just going to wait. I was like, and then I heard it again. And it just sounded like this shit was like popping off. So I ran up there again. Nothing. That's when I got scared. That's when I was like, ah, like what is, what is happening? And I looked outside again and then I stood outside on that balcony from like the third story which was beautiful. That's on the top of Cherry Hill. You could oversee most of Bowling. It was a cool spot. And I was like, I'm going to smoke a cigarette up here. And I think probably had like a little bowl or whatever. I was like, if they're fucking with me, they'll come back up or I'll just see what's happening. So just nothing. It's just quiet. Like literally everything's quiet in a way that was weird, but it was just like, huh? Then I got kind of weird and I, I went to the closets. I looked underneath everybody's beds and shit. I was like, man, Cause fucking with everybody's what they everyone's doing all the time. So then I went back down there, and at that point, I started playing again. And I was like, okay, I'll try to drink myself to sleep because I'm a little weirded out. And then I just hear doors shutting, which I know is like, okay. At this point, it hadn't occurred to me that this could be a ghost or anything. I'm still like, these are. I was like, I don't know who's doing this, but I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed, and now I want to catch them because they're doing it at this level. It's like impressive so i run outside i run out to the and try to find who's in there but no one is in it's just me in this house and i was like okay i was like man it's just an old house but then i hear everybody upstairs again and then the doors start shutting and i'll and i'll i'll never forget this i just pushed power on the nintendo and grab my cigarettes and keys and sprinted out of that house and sprinted down to a bar and just hung out at a bar until it closed. I didn't tell anybody probably for like two or three months either. Cause I was like, no one's gonna, I was like, but then one, it was, I think it was like around homecoming alumni were coming in and they were telling ghost stories. And I was like, I have, I have one. That's when it really all, cause I was like, that place is bad. That place is a bad place we live in. It's scary, and they knew I was by myself, and I think they knew that I was getting scared, and they were fucked with me. But it's the only time I've ever been really scared of a ghost. There was a story about room four was the one that was supposed to be the most haunted. One night I was there, I don't know if I was by myself, but there's like just me and a couple other people in different rooms, kind of quiet, but I was watching a dude's uh, boxer, his dog, and he got, there was a story about there would be like a, civil people would see a civil war soldier behind the uh when they were like get ready like one would pop up and the the joke uh somebody i remember somebody's like what's like which side and i was like why does it matter what the ghost who's the ghost was fighting for you crazy son of a bitch somebody's like kentucky fought for the union seeing somebody in a confederate flag and they're just they it never occurred to them they're like oh I'm like, yeah man it's fucking idiot but that was in one night I was there and the dog was real wigged the fuck out about that corner in a way that wouldn't stop looking. And I was like, yo, just chill. 
I was pretty tired. I think I'd worked a double and I was just trying to drink and smoke cigarettes until I fell asleep. You know, that lifestyle, that server lifestyle. And I was like, I just acknowledged the ghost and was like, listen, whatever you are or whatever it is, I'm not going anywhere. I ain't trying to hurt you. Quit freaking this dog out. I'm trying to play Nintendo and fall asleep or whatever it was I was trying to do. And the dog kind of sat down when I did that. And I just like the the vibe was different in the room, but the but the dog there was something in there for sure. Like the whole energy changed, that kind of stuff. Like I lived in Seattle in our first apartment. We found out after we moved that the person before us had committed suicide there. But I knew there was a presence there the whole time. I was just really cool with it, and we would hang out while I was, you know, because we had a great view of Elliott Bay and very affordable apartment. So I just got really cool with this presence that I was very aware of. I was like, yeah, well, this something's here. Whoever it is, is cool when I watch TV and smoke weed, so it doesn't scare me. And then we found out later after we moved, our neighbors like, we didn't want to tell you, but yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I knew that. And my ex-wife was like, what in the hell? Why didn't you say anything? I was like, cause you make us move. And I love that apartment. And me and that ghost got along. We we're cool. People think you're like, oh, you believe in ghosts? Or I guess, I guess so. Me and this presence hung out. That's for sure. Me and my friend John, we used to live in a haunted house together. True story. And is I feel like we're two guys that aren't really prone to that. Like it's not necessarily that I don't believe in ghosts or anything, but we're just not like it's not something I try to fuck with. Like I I don't go looking for ghosts. Right. We're probably fairly skeptical guys too. But I would say like definitively, I don't know what I believe in terms of like ghosts and stuff like that. Yeah, I think I would fall in that same spectrum as far as what you believe what you see i have not seen that much crazy shit in my life some stuff like has a perfectly rational explanation to it and like growing up in the country like where we did like you know when it gets dark you hear all kinds of crazy stuff but everyone just always says oh don't worry about that it's just the wind or whatever so you know that's saddling yeah whatever yeah but this house we lived in i think about this house all the time I still do. Like, I dream about this house sometimes. It's it's like stuff that happened there, but it happens kind of differently in my dreams. I mean, it was kind of just weird. Like, we, we were in a situation where we had to find a place to live pretty quickly. 
this house was right off camp, a really, really old house. I, I'm guessing early 1900s. And so we get in this house and like we get one quick walk through like the, there was, I remember the, I think it was Delta Gamma's maybe they were moving out of the house whenever we were moving in. So we got like one quick walk through and say, like, yeah, we'll take it. We moved in the next week. What I hated about that house more than anything, still think about it today, is when we would have to do laundry and go down that damn basement. The basement, man, is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. It's like I would put off doing laundry just because you had those rickety steps to get down to the basement, first of all. You know, cold, damp. I, I don't think I ever went in that basement after dark one time that we lived there like i would do laundry as soon as i got off work at five o'clock be like, all right daylight get down here and do this now the only time i ever did was when there was a storm one time and it knocked our power out for a little bit i, I flipped the breaker people. yeah gotcha. that's it and i hated every second of it <laughs> yeah this house yeah was like all kinds of like little creepy things would happen from time to time in that house it's one of those houses it's I kind of call it the midsummer effect, like that midsummer movie where it's like everything happens in the daytime, but it's like super creepy. And maybe that even intensifies it. Like I was telling you earlier, I remember going up and soaking my ankles in y'all's bathtub. It's just <laughs> midday, and then just all of a sudden, thud on the window. A bird flies into it and dies. So like as soon as I'm getting into that little like just groove of like I'm relaxing now in a nice hot bath. So all that to say, this house is just like old and just kind of creepy. And I would say nothing that was like too explicitly weird until that first summer we lived there. Yeah, the, the summertime, like, you know, the house was so close to campus. It was constantly like kind of an open door policy. Like there was people always in and out of the house. So I downplayed a lot of what would go on because... I feel like there was constantly like a door that would open and shut or in the kitchen, the cabinets would open and shut. The cabinets like, would open. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, like all the time, but I, hell, I just thought somebody was popping in to grab some pizza rolls or something. Um, but that summer, you know, Moorhead thins out by population by half. Everybody leaves. So, you know, we had our little crew that was around for summertime and that was it. But that's when some of the more creepy things happened for yeah. sure. The big one, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened to me this whole weekend because that weekend was pretty insane for me. I dispatched the fire department back home, and which that building is creepy in and of itself. The fire department in Whitesburg because it's like this old feed house, and they've got this old school like early twentieth century service elevator that's got the ropes and shit. Oh yeah, and like they used to do livestock sales and, and that side and everything. And there's like shit that's really old over on that side. And you know these, like, buildings that talk? Like, oh, if yeah. you're just quiet, and this happens a lot of places, you could kind of, it's, you know, maybe it's the house settling, or maybe it's, like, just, like, your stomach growling or something. Like, the house is just constantly, like, unsettled. Yeah, just constantly making some type of sound. I'm not exaggerating what I would say. And, and listen, again, fairly skeptical dude, but I would hear stuff on that warehouse site all the time. It was It was, like... I couldn't make out what they were saying, but it was like people were over there just talking all the time. So the night in question were started on Friday night at the fire department in Whitesburg. I'm there and there was this guy that used to work there. I won't say what his last name was. His name was Mike. And Mike was a different type of cat. He was very nice, extremely nice, 
but just a different type of cat. He was kind of into that like malicious stuff that eventually snowballed into the, you know, kind of people that pulled off the January 6th thing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so maybe, maybe this was like a harbinger of things to come. But that Friday night, I'll never forget, I, I dispatched at the fire department. A lot of times I would be by myself, but this night it was me and Mike and this guy, Ken. Ken was in his bunk. He was the full-time firefighter there. Mike was the guy that he was kind of like coming up and all that kind of stuff, trying to get his like firefighting hours. There was this firefighter, John, who took his own life. And there was always like that kind of, you know, I don't want to play fast and loose with that because that's obviously like a, you know, a serious topic. But there's always been like kind of a, a weird vibe over there. And they had like the little memorial to him set up in the back with the couch and TV. And then there was like the memorial to John. And then here was the fire chief's office right beside that. And then my little alcove where I would take the calls, you know. I brought my like little blow up mattress. Mm-hmm. So I blow up the mattress in that little alcove and I'd sit the phone right by my ear. So I would just like nap. And if I could clearly hear if a call came in, I would just, you know, hey, Whitesburg Fire Department, da 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 da. I had no more than falling asleep. It's probably like two in the morning or something. Mike was back asleep on the couch. He had been watching a movie or something and kind of nodded off. Ken was in his bunk because all the full-time firefighters had their like little bunks there. I hear a grown man growling like they're in pain almost. So I'm laying there. I got my eyes closed and then I do this. What the fuck is that? I just opened my eyes and it was one of the rare instances where I got so scared, I just like closed my eyes and like, you know, you did the, like the sheet over the head thing. You know, I was like, because it's audible. It's in the room with us. Yeah. You, yeah. There's no running at this point. I look up and Mike is asleep, but he's awake and he's standing up and he's pacing back and forth in the fire department. And he's talking about Satan He's talking about killing this guy, Perry, that worked there, who wasn't working that night, but he worked there. He's like, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. I'm going to, like, rip his guts out and, like, sacrifice him to, like... And he started, like, talking in this, like... You know, like, if you've been to church, you know how people are, like, speaking tongues and speaking stuff like tongues. that? Yeah. Kind of sounded a little bit like that, but not, like, holy. I'm laying there. I close my eyes. I'm playing possum. Because he's walking right up beside me. And then walking back to in the back where he was laying, and he's just muttering this nonsense. I so, feel the little the little vibration on my leg. Uh-huh. I pull my phone out and gets a text from Ken, who's asleep in the bunk. He said, What the fuck? I was like, ah, dude, he's sleepwalking and muttering nonsense. But he's like saying some creepy shit, like about the devil and stuff. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Ken said, good luck. <laughs> LOL. I said, get out here now. He said, fuck that. <laughs> well, eventually, Mike goes back there and he doesn't fall asleep on the couch. He just gets down in the floor and lays down in the floor and falls back asleep. After about probably 15 minutes of doing this, this like weird sleepwalking Satan worship thing. Jesus. At that point I said, Ken, he's out here laying face down on the floor. And Ken said, LOL. And he comes out and he just, it's like three in the morning. He starts kicking Mike in the shoulder. <laughs> like get up. You sorry bastard. <laughs> What's going on? And Mike is dead to the world, man. 
like could not get him up. That was all that happened, but that it was creepy because it's the confluence of like over on the warehouse side, which is just a wall separating the fire department from the warehouse side. You would hear these people talking all the time that weren't there. That building talked. Well, Mike damn sure talked. Mike damn sure talked. But all the firefighters up there would be like, I hate working here by myself. And like, these are guys that go into burning buildings and they're like, I hate working up here by myself because it's so fucking creepy up here at night. Fast forward the next night. After I'm shook up a little bit. I'm like, that was just, that was fucking weird. Like I felt fear because I was like, is this guy possessed by the devil? Was my thought. I was like, and I'm thinking there's scissors here. This motherfucker could try to come stab me. Anything. The next night, I worked till midnight and I was like, God, I'm still kind of creeped out, but I'm just going to, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive on to Moorhead because I don't want to like get up at like, I want to be able to sleep till 830 and go to class instead of having to get up at 530 and drive and then go to class. But I get back to the house about 3 a.m. and I look up and I see, cause your, your bedroom window faced the street. Yep. On that left side. I see, because I remember thinking, pulling in, fuck, I'm tired as hell. I just want to go to bed, and John's got a big bunch up here. Every light in that house was on, and there were people moving around in your bedroom. I looked, I was like, fuck, he's got a big bunch up there. I pull up. I went around to the back side facing the kitchen, but I didn't have my key, and it was locked, so I came back around to the front side, thinking maybe you would hear that a little easier because your room was on the front side. And I start beating on the door. I hear the banging on the door. I'm passed out dead asleep. And everybody had left that weekend. I was home alone, actually. And that's why, you know, that's the only time we ever locked the doors if I was there by myself, because usually people were in and out. I remember I kept tripping me out so much. I kept a shotgun in my closet and I heard somebody beating on the door. And I was like, what in the hell is somebody trying to break in here? So I answered the door to you and I've got my shotgun in my hand. And you were like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wake you. I, I just saw you had people up in your room. I, that's where I was like, here, what, trying to come to. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I said, Dom ain't been nobody here since Friday. You looked at me. You said, I've been asleep since about 10 o'clock. Because when I came around to the backside, like the lights were off in the kitchen and stuff. Is he Don't just got like, and I thought my next thought was, oh, he had like a girl up there or something. And they just like had the lights off. And I was like, but I saw, like, I saw a scene happening. And I thought, I'm, am I losing? I thought I was losing my mind. I really did. I thought I had, like, yeah. you've been up for a long period of time. You kind of hallucinate a little bit. You do, you don't, you can see people walking on the side of the road that ain't really there if you're driving late at night. You know, you have that thing. But I've never in my life saw a party going on and then get up there and there's nothing happening. So, I mean, I can remember it too, like, I can remember, like, I was skeptical of you saying this in the moment. Like, man, I just woke up. Nobody's there. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you might have saw something. Maybe as your headlights reflecting. But where it really got real for me, you know, there would be a couple more occurrences, like, you know, with the shadows around the house, that kind of stuff. But the one that trips me out to think about it is... We, I mean, we lived off campus and there was a small river. I, the, the water had backed up all the way to Main Street and had knocked out electricity. So uh, we didn't have any power or anything at, at the house. Pitch black had, you know, a bunch of guys with any candles around. We might have had one candle downstairs to light 
But I remember like a couple guys that come over and you know, were like playing cards downstairs to pass time. And I was like, guys, I still have to work in the morning. I'm going to go ahead and head up, get some sleep. And I remember rolling over and looking in my room and I just see somebody standing there. I'm like, man, get out of here. I'm trying to sleep. I thought it was one one of the guys. You Brandon or somebody, or somebody else. yeah. Yeah, up there messing with me. And I, I can't shake it. So I, I finally, I turn around and it's gone. But I go back downstairs and our stairs are pretty loud. So I was like, how do you make get up here? So I, I'm like, guys, I got to work in the morning. Quit messing with me. And you all look at me like, the hell, been playing cards. There's only four of us here. And I was like, well, one of y'all was just standing up in the room. I know. Like, this isn't just some shadow. This is literally someone standing in my room in the middle of the night with no power. And, like, there was no lights to cast a shadow. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have electricity in the house at the moment. As real as that was, I never felt like anybody was trying to hurt me in that house. Not one time. But they wanted to party. The spirits, like, you know, people talk about, like, you've got to be, you know, some people say they present themselves under different situations. Hell is like every damn day. Like we hear doors open and close, or it was just like they were just. It became and going. a joke at a certain point. Yeah, like we just didn't think anything of it. It was just like a normal part of living in that house. I had never experienced that kind of that type of thing. Like I've been places where no. I get a bad vibe, or not even a bad vibe, but like a kind of a creeped out vibe or whatever. But I had never experienced stuff like that, like up close, that like made me question my sanity multiple very vivid moments in that house you know something's not adding up how many houses do we live in throughout college together we rented what seven eight places several of them. nothing ever happened in the rest of them no not a single thing you called me i guess this a couple of summers ago and you were shook so you know seeing the stuff at the house we lived in that was one thing but this experience is is totally different. We'd actually been on a family vacation. We we've been at the beach, had a great time all week, traveling back, and I was like, guys, I just don't know about driving all the way through. What do you all think about trying to find a, a house or a hotel? Everybody's kind of kicking it over. Everybody wants to get home, but everybody else is tired too. So I was like, guys, I don't know if I can make this drive. So unless one of you all want to drive a leg, I think we need to get a hotel or something. So everybody's like, all right, we'll start looking. Uh, Meredith gets on her phone. She finds a uh, Airbnb in Birmingham. It looks awesome. I was like, oh, that'd be great. We'll spend a night there, get up, have an easy drive tomorrow morning. Pretty pretty late. We get there and open the door, take a step in, and it is just one of the weirdest feelings, the weirdest smells, if that makes sense. Like. It really seemed like someone was going out the back door as we were going in the front door. I mean, so much so that the TV was on when we go into an Airbnb, which is pretty unusual. And um, it, it wasn't ex- it very clean. Uh, the most generous and, reading of that is like somebody just the, that was cleaning the Airbnb just didn't show up and just left it. So I was like, God, I'm just like, what? whatever. We just need eight hours of sleep and get back on the road. So we get our luggage brought in, trying to get everybody situated. And it's everybody is like very uneasy. Um, like we're going upstairs trying to check out the bedrooms and just everything just feels feels off. Like we're, we're trying to joke and make the most of it. Like, all right, you know, this will all be fine. You don't really hear anything. It's just like, it's just the feeling is all this is. And it's not a good feeling at all. Like it's it's not good at all. We're there for 30, 45 minutes. 
like I, I don't know if we can stay here guys it's you know something something's not something's right miss yeah and like well, what what are we going to do like you know it's 11 30 midnight now like we're not not going to be able to find anything else we'll just go get gas station i'll get some red bulls we'll, we'll get out of here i'll i'll drive it i'll be careful i mean it was so bad and i was exhausted i mean it was so bad like i was like there's no way i'm going to get a wink of sleep in this house like some something's off uh, Meredith is trying to like contact the homeowner to like see you know did the cleaning people not show up and she's not being responsive at all we, we just can't figure anything out well finally my mother-in-law had actually looked and found there there were two hotel rooms open at a hotel downtown so we start packing our bags really quick again nothing has really happened yet just it's just the creepiest feeling in this house of any place I've ever been I pull the car back to the back. I tell Meredith, why don't you snap some pictures real fast just so we can show like how the, the house was kind of not as clean as it should be. That way, when the homeowner does get with us, we can talk about maybe a partial refund or something. This just doesn't seem right. Acceptable, yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, she starts running towards the car and say, let's get the fuck out of here. And, and she is white as a ghost. I was like, what the hell? She's like, she goes, just go, go, go. So I, I like, I peel out of the driveway i'm like what the hell just happened and she won't say a word like she just she just said just drive so we get a couple miles away like you know well out of the neighborhood and everything and she goes when i was by the backyard snapping pictures i looked up at the window where our bedroom was and there was a woman in the window staring at me and she is just a nervous wreck about it we're like you've got to be kidding me we get to the hotel we're like, well, let's come over here and talk about what we're going to say to the homeowner. Like, this this is not okay. I was like, yeah, we'll just send her some of those pictures. We start scrolling through the pictures, and there it is. We all instantly go, what the fuck? You see this, like, skeleton face looking at the camera. It's just, you see it, like, so noticeable. And it's not, when I say skeleton, like, it's a facial figure with two blank eye sockets and, like, a mouth. The homeowner finally calls us back. Meredith is, you know, she just straight up like, I don't know what is going on with that house, but we saw someone in the house. And the woman immediately stops and goes, I'll go ahead and just send your money back. Just please don't leave a review. Like, I'm so glad that we didn't stay the night. I don't, I don't know if anything would have happened or not, but. You know, everybody talks about just getting those weird feelings. This was the weirdest feeling I've ever had about any environment or any type of house. Good old downtown historic Birmingham. Well, you think of these places, man, like Birmingham. You know, everybody talks about the South and the Southern Gothic aesthetic and all these things. But you're talking about places where, like, real human torture and misery was carried out over a long period of time. And then you're thinking about you go to these places and it's like, even if there's no such thing as ghosts, even if all this stuff we're talking about is just like figments of our imagination, there is still that vibe that stays on a place. That's it for tonight, folks. 
If you like what you've heard, hit the show notes for the pre-order link to our companion zine, which, if you order one, will be hitting your mailboxes very soon. Don't want a zine, but want to give us a love offering instead? Our Venmo and Cash App links are in the show notes as well. Faces in the Corner is brought to you by Boss Babies LLC and through the generous support of our sponsors and listeners like you. Faces in the Corner is produced by me, Tom Sexton, Matthew Carter, Levi Funk, and Daniel Pujol, with original music by Daniel Pujol. Thanks again for being with us, and remember, when you lay your head down tonight and you cut off all those lights, may the faces you see in the corner be ever in your corner. Sweet dreams. <laughs>